2 Corinthians chapter 4. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Verse 16. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. The word of the Lord. Let's do a quick test as we begin this series that we'll be preaching through um, starting today until we get to Advent. So the next nine Sundays, really, we'll be talking about broken people, but a whole God. Broken people, but a complete God. Broken people, but uh, an all-sufficient God. So broken people, whole God. And today we begin that. But before we begin, let me give you a test real quick, just in your mind. You don't have to answer out loud because I wouldn't want to embarrass anybody. Uh, but here you go. You, you go to have a piece of pie. Now, in my case, that would need to be cherry pie. That's my favorite type of pie. So a piece of cherry pie. And that cherry pie has nice crust lattice work on the top. And on the bottom, it's got crust. And in the middle is this beautiful cherry and sugar filling. And there's that crust ring that's on the outside. And there are two pieces that get picked up to be served. And one of those pieces is perfect. I mean, it's almost as if they had done it just right for a commercial. Like, just everything's excellent. And then the other piece, like that crust ridge is kind of broken off and it's still hanging on to part of the pie pan. And you notice that the bottom of it doesn't quite have all the crust on the bottom. Which piece do you choose? Or, or let's say you're going to get a cup of tea. And you go to get the cup of tea and you notice that there are only two cups left and one of those cups is perfect and pristine and, and the other one seems to be stained on the inside a little bit and maybe there's a little chip on it and, well, and the handle's missing and so you'd have to hold the cup like that. Which one would you choose? Or, or maybe for you more te technologically advanced folks, you have two phones and one of them has been dropped and has a cracked screen and the other one does not. Now, which one would you choose? Which one would you really want? The one with the cracked screen or the one... Now, we know that you stay with the one with the cracked screen because it cost $150 to replace a screen. So you just go ahead. But if you had to choose, if you had the right and it didn't cost you anything, which, which one would you really pick? My guess, my inclination is that you've probably picked the perfect piece of pie and the perfect teacup and the non-broken screened phone. 
And why wouldn't you? I mean, it's efficient, and it works better, and it's nicer to look at, and I get all the crust, and that's the most important part of a cherry pie other than the cherry filling. It's all of it. Right? The reality in our lives is we often believe that brokenness is not the best, that brokenness is bad, and that brokenness is something to be avoided at all costs. But when we look at our own lives, when we begin to search out our own hearts, we begin to quickly recognize that we're not perfect. That we, in fact, have broken things in our own lives, in our own hearts. We could very quickly go through a litany of things that have stained us or chipped us or shattered us. And the glory of what we're going to be talking about over the next nine weeks and the glory of what this passage to two, in 2 Corinthians to the church in Corinth that Paul wrote is the fact that God recognizes already our brokenness. He's fully prepared to step into this place. When he says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. Now, uniquely enough, some would call it providence. I would agree with that. God had me in the city of Corinth on Friday, <laughs> the city where this book, the inhabitants, lived. And one of the things that Corinth was actually known for in that day was pottery. And you go into the museum in ancient Corinth and you see that they were not only masters of pottery, that they were creating new ways to do it and new ways to ensure that it didn't chip and new ways to protect it. It's pretty cool to look at all this pottery that had been picked out of these ancient ruins in this city. So when Paul says this to the church, these are not people who don't understand. <laughs> these are people who would clearly understand and get the fact that jars of clay chip and break easily, that they're porous and so the insides of them get stained very quickly with whatever the contents are. But he says, for what we proclaim is this, that God said and shone his light into our hearts. That is the knowledge of God in the face of Jesus Christ, in the wholeness, in the completeness of who Jesus Christ. And now we hold this in jars of clay, these broken vessels, these things that will leak and seep, these things that aren't perfect. And so what I want to do today is contrast this, this desire for perfection that we have and what actually in this passage we see is the hope of our brokenness. So let's talk first about this idea of perfection. This thought that we have that we are going to move towards something and be complete and whole. I think it does three things to us. There's a product of perfection, there's the pursuit of perfection, and then there's the promise of perfection that we have. So let's talk about the product of perfection. When we ourselves set in our own hearts and in our own minds that we're going to move to a place of perfection, that product that it will produce is an idea of pride and self-righteousness that comes in. Because we have this ideal, and who sets that ideal? We do. We say, this is what perfection looks like. Now, it might start off in a good place, right? It might begin through our relationship with Christ and through God, but the idea that we have is that we'll somehow attain it on our own. And so this, this 
product of perfection, this striving to get to it, is that we become prideful and we become self-righteous. The pursuit is this, that there's a false ideal out there. The pursuit of perfection for us is that there is something that we can attain and grasp hold of. That there is the ideal. What is the ideal woman? What is the ideal man? And we set it up in our mind and we build and we construct and we say, if this, then I will be perfect. And it gives us this aim, this sort of false dichotomy that takes our eyes off of God and puts them on us and us alone. So we have a pursuit of perfection and a product of perfection, but then the promise of perfection is this. We believe somehow that if we become perfect, that we will have freedom, that we'll be released from this world and all its pain and all its sorrow and all the brokenness that we see around it. But if I can just be perfect, then it will not affect me in that way. But I want to tell you that this promise of perfection does not lead to freedom. It actually leads to bondage. It drives us into a bondage of a system that actually fails to provide for us the peace that we desire. And what it really produces in us is a shame because we cannot live up to even our own standard. Let alone the holy standard of God who created us and knows us most truthfully and intimately and completely. You see, this drive for perfection leads us to bondage and shame. And that's the reason why Paul glories in this brokenness. That's the reason why Paul says this magnificent understanding, this knowledge of all the glory of God that rests in Jesus is put into brokenness. In order for what to happen? In order to restore us. In order to make us complete. You see, our brokenness provides us three things. Just like that pursuit of perfection produces shame and produces bondage. When we move into our brokenness, when we begin to walk into it completely... It provides us three things. It provides, one, a proclamation. It provides us a way to persevere in the world. And it also provides us a perspective that we couldn't have. Let's look at the proclamation first. This is his. What? He says this. For God, who said, let light shine in the darkness, has shown in our hearts to give us light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And we have these treasures in jars of clay to show that the suppressed surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. There's a proclamation there of the glory of God that our brokenness in and of itself is a proclamation. Where did God choose to put this knowledge of glory? Did he choose to put it in perfect men and women? No. He chose to put it in broken individuals like you and I. It's not the people who think they have it all right. It's not the people who somehow have lived up to their own standards. It's the people who quickly recognize their brokenness. Just think of the parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee praying that Jesus gives us. Where the, the tax collector comes in and he begins to pray, Lord, forgive me, I'm a sinner. And he's beating his chest and the Pharisee prays, Lord, thank you that I'm nothing like that man. Aren't you lucky to have me? That's the paraphrase of it. 
You see, what God says is, no, my proclamation happens in brokenness. My proclamation recognizes that the world has fallen. My proclamation says, yes, I had an intent, and I am moving to make that happen. But the way that I make that happen is through broken people. And so we recognize that if we step into our brokenness, that it is a loud proclamation of the grace and glory of God. His true knowledge is that he came to seek and to save those who were lost. The true knowledge of Christ, the glory of God, is that he came to heal the sick, not those who didn't need a doctor. And the reality is, is we all need a doctor. And he has come to do that. The second thing that it does is it gives us a place of perseverance. Where do we see that? It shows his surpassing power belongs to God, not to us. And then he goes on to say, we are afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. We're persecuted, but we are not forsaken. We are struck down, but we are not destroyed. Why? Because we're always carrying in our body the death of Jesus so that the resurrection power, Jesus's life, may be manifested in our bodies. Our brokenness reminds us that we are persevering in the power of Christ's new life. That that death, burial, and resurrection was revolutionary. That it created us as new humans. Those who are completely known by God, who can completely know who we are, can completely know everyone that we encounter, and can completely be in good relationship with the place that we live. And that things will happen. We are not promised to be removed from this world. We are in the world, and so tragedy will happen. Shattering will happen. Stains will happen. They will be there. But it is in our brokenness, not in our pursuit for perfection. Because when we are pursuing perfection, then we have to deny those things. We have to say those things aren't real, or those things are other. But in our brokenness, we can step into them and embrace them. Why? Because we have the power that we know we will overcome these. Jesus says, do not fear the world. I have overcome it. And we have that power to persevere. Not because we're perfect, but because we're broken. And we have the surpassing power of God. So brokenness restores us, and it provides a proclamation, it provides perseverance, and it provides perspective. Look at the last part of that. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer selves are wasting away, I'm sort of fighting against that personally, but our outer selves are wasting away, <laughs> our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen for the things that are seen are transient and the things that are unseen are eternal our perspective changes for us when we step into our brokenness we begin to recognize in our brokenness we are made whole through christ and that that is something that is unseen it is a mystery when we come to god from a mindset of seeking perfection right and listen God is perfect. So when we're seeking God, we're seeking the perfect one. But when we got to go to God seeking perfection here, in me, then our perspective changes to ourselves. 
And we get into a works mentality that we have to do the things to make us perfect. We have to operate in a place that I've got to do this and I've got to do this and I, to be perfect. And our immediate surroundings, the things that are present and temporal, become the most important things. But when we step into our brokenness and we recognize that we're not complete outside of the perfect one making us complete, our minds and our hearts cannot help but look above to his glorious face that is found in Jesus Christ, to the things that are eternal. And what are those things? His love, his mercy, his compassion, his grace, his truth, his perspective of us. And how does he see us? Through his son, Jesus Christ. Not as who we are, as broken, but as whole and holy, possessing what? All the knowledge of the glory of God. So when we think about this series that we're moving into and we think about ourselves, yes, our proclivity, our propensity, our desire is for perfection. But God's call in the gospel is a move towards brokenness so that he can make us complete. Now look, that doesn't mean that we just sit back in our brokenness and wallow in it. That doesn't mean that we just sit there and we go, well, I can't do anything right anyway because I'm just broken. No, why? Because our perspective has changed. We don't see ourselves as broken anymore. See? We see ourselves and recognize ourselves as complete, as beautiful in the eyes of God. And it charges us and moves us to live holy and pleasing lives to God. Not in order to make ourselves perfect, but in reaction to the fact that you already are perfect in Christ. Again, it's a mystery. It's something that can be beyond our comprehension. So oftentimes I have to look in in this broken, failed world for things that can relate this beautiful mystery to me in a way that I can comprehend it. I think when we're thinking about these beautiful jars of clay that we hold that are broken vessels... It reminds me of this art form that takes place in Japan. I will not say it correctly, but I will do my best. Kintsuke, or kintsuki. Now, what this is, is when pottery or ceramic break, a teapot breaks, something uh, of value in their lives breaks, they will take that thing, and they will build a, a glue and a, 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 a type resin to be able to join them back together. But they don't do it like that YouTube or Facebook thing that's out there right now where you have this porcelain china and you set it in milk for like two days and then you pull it out and supposedly it's all fixed and you don't see the cracks anymore. It's not that they don't do that. What they do is they take this glue and they lace it with gold or platinum. And they paint it in to the cracks and hold it together. And so when it is dry and when it is picked up to show again, the cracks, the very brokenness of that, pl- that plate or the very brokenness of that teapot is shining forth in beauty with gold. 
The philosophy that falls behind it says that, listen, brokenness and the repair are as much a part of the history of that item as anything else. And it is not something to be disguised or hidden. It is something to be celebrated. Christ's blood, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. The very gospel that God has been in a reckless, relentless pursuit of you in a loving relationship is the very gold that holds you together. It's the very thing that shines forth most completely the glory of God. That yea, that in my brokenness God receives glory and honor. And it is as beautiful as a broken teapot that has a long history in a family. Perhaps handed down from grandparent to grandchild to grandparent to grandchild. That somehow accidentally got hit on the counter and broke. We don't discard that thing. We don't throw that thing away. No, what we do is we point out the beauty of its fracture and the beauty of its completeness being brought together by gold being traced into it. It's become such a big deal that in Japan, some people are now breaking plates intentionally to see if they can sell the things to manufacture. Isn't that just the way the world is? But the purity of it is this that we are not worthless, that our brokenness does not disqualify us from God's love, that in fact his love comes in and makes our brokenness more beautiful than we would ever imagine. And that is where the glory of God resides. Let's pray. Father, thank you for making us whole in you. Thank you for not wanting to disguise it but for bringing about beauty in it. You are good to us. Let us hear your words. If they're not your words, Father, we pray that they'll burn up, but if they are your words, that they will take root in our heart and they will bear good fruit and glory unto you. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.